0: Come Lord Jesus be our guest. And let these words be yours and bless. Amen. Kids today have no idea of the wishbone ritual. Now maybe you guys do. At least I grew up with that, that little thing that was actually the coda at the end of Thanksgiving where after the turkey's been devoured and maybe chopped into little bits for soup, the wishbone remained, that strange little bone. And my sister and I would reach, grab an end, we'd make a wish and pull it apart, and whoever got the the bigger end of it won and got their wish. But they could never tell anyone. Anyway, kids today don't know that. I, I tried it for preschool chapel, completely clueless. I I lamented the fact to my college students, and a couple goes, what are you talking about? So I actually had to bring a wishbone to show them, and they still had no clue. But that's probably a good thing. I mean, when you think about it, it's really a dumb ritual. I mean, who invented the fact that somehow a piece of discarded, devoured poultry could grant wishes of whatever you wanted? And then there is that rather silly prohibition that if you tell someone what you wished for, you would never get it. Now, shouldn't you proclaim loudly that sort of thing? And there's no statute of limitations on the timing. You're just supposed to be there in silence and wait for it is. And I think I've sort of given up when I wished for a bike back in 1965 and never got it. You know, the, the idea for me was also sullied by the fact that I learned very early, a couple of Thanksgivings before my sister, that it was really not magical at all. It was a matter of physics. All you had to do was grab closer to the center than the other person on the other side, and you were virtually guaranteed to get your wish. Now, the thing is, it really was an epic fail for my preschool chapel, because when I finally did get two volunteers to come up and stand for it, and I had this great wishbone, it didn't break, did it? (laughs) The kids couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. I still can't do it. It has to dry out another week or so. This is really one magical wishbone. So I quickly recovered and just said, that's the differences between wishing and hoping. There's something about Advent that for me really makes it the best time of year. And I think it is the hope. Sure, a large part of this is just waiting for Christmas, the gifts and the gathering, the carols and carrying on and all the other stuff, but I also think that this is the culmination of all those prophetic words in the Old Testament, the visions and dreams of a Messiah to come. And I also wonder about my future at this time of year, what God still might have in store for me. Hope is something intrinsically future-oriented. The expectation of something that's not yet realized or possessed and, and granted, it might not actually be guaranteed. I always thought I knew what hope means. But then when I was talking about it with some other people, and I found myself that that I hope for a whole bunch of different things of varying magnitudes. I hope that the church continues to grow and thrive. I hope see the Seahawks get a running game. I hope that, that there's a de-escalation in North Korea and political tensions. I, I hope that we get out of debt, that I lose weight, that we go to Hawaii. <laughs> I got all these hopes and, and that maybe they're not hopes. Maybe I should first look and see what hope is not. Hope is not... Optimism. Optimism is a general kind of demeanor, a rather generic, lukewarm, maybe-things-will-work-out kind of attitude. It's merely an outlook. It's not anything you'd really want to bet your life on. On the other hand, hope is not anticipation either. Anticipation is usually too specific. It's focused on one thing we're waiting and wanting to happen, and it runs the danger of missing out on other possibilities and really hates surprises. Nor is hope hype. Hype targets the emotions in unrealistic ways, and even when you fall prey for it just for that moment, you really deep down know that you're going to be disappointed. But most of all, and most perplexing, hoping is not wishing. Now, wishing is something we all do. We project what we want or need in the future that we don't have now, and it becomes a wish. And sometimes we work for it, but but usually we kind of, sort of expect somebody else to grant it in some way. We all have wish lists, especially this time of year. And those wish lists are predominantly all about us. Even the best ones. The wishes for something holy or for something for someone else, they're still center, centered in our ego, what we want to have happen. But hope, hope is, should be oriented in what God is doing. What he wants from us and in us. Eugene Peterson, the one who translated the Bible into the message, he used this great analogy to highlight the difference between wishing and hoping. He said, imagine wishing as this line that goes right out from you with an arrow on the end pointing to the future, the thing or things you want to have happen. That's wishing. Hope is the opposite of that, he says, Hope is the line that comes from God in the future with the arrow pointing right at us. It's not a matter of what we want, but what God wants us to receive. Which way is your arrow pointing? Because hope, as opposed to wish, always means leaving yourself wide open to wonder to the probability that you will be surprised. Because if it is God's doing, and we trust that he knows better what is best for us, and, and, we might, and how our lives might be better for those around us, we sure might be surprised, have absolutely no idea where our hope might take us. In fact, if we are cultivating a hope in what God has in store for us, That well might mean suppressing our wishes. In the Old Testament lesson I read, Isaiah expresses his and Israel's hope. He says, Oh Lord, that you would rip apart the heavens and come down. Really. He's asking God to stir things up, to mess with the world and all in it. And yet you think, lest you think that maybe the prophet's just saying he wants all the other nations to get theirs, note how he ends that long plea. He finishes with, well, don't be really angry. (laughs) Please bear in mind, we're still your people. That's what he hopes for. For God to mess things up. For God to have his face that's hidden, revealed, for his people to be aroused. He's looking to the future and waiting for God's arrow. Now where does that kind of hope come from? The quick and obvious answer is is from God. But knowing that and saying that, I feel kind of in an awkward position because I find myself waiting for, hoping for hope. Hope as if it's something out there, beyond me, eluding me, outside of my control, which it is, but it's not. It's God's, but hope is given to me to provide direction, to inspire courage, and given to me to be shared. Peter Block, in his book, The Answer to How is Yes, asked this really important question. He says, everyone has hope all around them, but are you a consumer or producer of hope? And I really thought that was fascinating. Is hope something we need to get and to have validated by God or someone else? Or is hope something we can offer anyone and everyone we come into contact with because it's already been a gift given to us? I think it's pretty easy in our day and age to be a hope consumer, to figure we need more hope. We need to get this kind of hope. That actually might be our human default setting. And we seek avenues of hope from parents, bosses, friends, doctors, sports teams, economists, the government, or people that want to overthrow the government. But, but what if hope was less something we need to get for ourselves to make it through life, and more something we can give to others. Paul writes about hope to the Romans. He says, uh, it is by hope that we are saved. Now, hope that is seen, that's not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. We hope for what we do not see? Yeah, that's not wishing. That doesn't mean that our hopes will be less practical or down to earth, that they're reliant on what our eyes cannot tell us. Just that if hope is a divine gift embedded inside of us by God Himself, it should do something to us and inspire a contagious reaction in anyone we encounter hope especially made manifest in advent every year when i light this first advent candle i think about the hopes <laughs> so much for the drama I think about the hopes of Isaiah and all the prophets that yearned and waited, hoping for their hope to be fulfilled and never seeing it. It wouldn't come for another for hundreds of years until it would be made manifest in the cry of a newborn baby in a small Judean town. My hopes are just as far-fetched as they are, just as unclear. But I find strength in them. They do something for me. But that is where it starts, not where it ends. In the midst of so many loose ends, anxieties, and worries about the future, despite that all-too-human temptation to wait until the glimmering of dawn starts to to shine before hoping for anything. I want to be more like Isaiah, confident enough in my hope to ask God to stir things up in my world. I want to trust that my Lord and Savior has got something in mind for me. Even if I have no idea what that is. And that he's tenderly cradling all my hopes in his arms like a baby swaddled in a manger. That's the promise of Advent. That God's strength meets us in the midst of our weakness and it lights up our lives to wait. For what we cannot see. That's what hope is. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus the life everlasting.